Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We're here today with Stuart Dixon, who's an NED with Trans-Siberian Gold, listed here in London. How are you? Very well, thanks. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, pleasure. So you're just telling me you're the only director or NED based here in London. The rest of the guys spread out around the world. How did that come about? Uh, it's a function of uh, two things, really, our yeah. ownership and our expertise. Right. Um, the seven-person uh, seven board, uh, all with direct experience of, uh, of Russia, and the majority of our directors have lived in Russia, speak right. Russian, and have um, a residency in other locations as well as Russia. So, Brilliant, uh, okay. So we're going to talk about the Russian component in a second, but why don't we kick off one-minute summary for people new to this, sure. and then we'll take it from there. So Trans-Siberian is an established gold producer. Uh, we've been in production for, um, for nine, nine years now. This will be our ninth year of production. Uh, we're in the far east of Russia, mm. um, which is a nine-hour flight from Moscow. So we're in the mm. same time zone as Auckland. Mm. Uh, so we're a long way away mm. from most things. Um, but it's a very prospective area and has, has uh, allowed us to develop the Asatcha gold mine yeah. uh, since 20, uh, 2011 into a 40,000-ounce stable production and dividend-paying company. Right which is an important part, we'll also talk about that. So Russian, gold, I know one other, POG, uh, here, on, here on London. Why did you guys list on the London Exchange? So the company listed in 2003 yeah. on, uh, on AIM uh, with a portfolio of, um, of Russian assets. And I think probably when you look back at uh, that time, that was still uh, probably flavor of the month. A lot of Russian mm -hmm. companies, a lot of uh, former Eastern European companies were, were listing in London. Um, we still very, feel very comfortable with not only our operational jurisdiction of Russia, but also our London listing. Uh, we're single, just solely listed in London. We're not listed anywhere else. Right. Um, and we find it works well for us. It's appropriate for, for where we are. Um, and so Meaning what? Well, in terms of the size, scale, and, and, and market cap of the company, um, and, and it's something that hopefully as we continue to grow, we'll, we'll be able to, to keep under review. And has that been a problem for you, the whole, whole kind of Russian connection? Well, the fact that you've got Russian assets, not Russian connection. Um, because I know when, you know, in my banking days, if someone said, said Russia, we, we walked the opposite direction. It was sure. kind of problematic. And I think with retail investors, family offices, et cetera, you know, are you getting that same kind of pushback or feedback? I think, I think there's some, uh, some myths and misconceptions around right. Russia. Uh, like what? Well, let's, uh, let's, let's, I always kind of say, let's look at sovereign risk as how is it going to affect your business? Mm. And in the mining and resources industry, I think there's three key areas you really need to look at. Mm -hmm. One is, uh, have you got uh, secure assets, a license uh, mm. and, and your, physical, your physical base? Is the country going to expropriate your asset, yeah. number one? Number two, uh, can you repatriate capital? Do you have free, yeah. free flows of capital in and out? Uh, and thirdly, how are your staff? Are your staff uh, well treated and is it a safe and secure environment for them to operate in? Because without your asset, without capital, without people, you don't have... Go to answer uh, those questions then. So we feel very comfortable um, with, with Russia as a mining jurisdiction. Russia has no history of expropriating mining assets uh, in its, at all. Uh, it's it's a, on the LSE? Uh, well, to, to, the, LSA, to, the best my, to the best of my knowledge ever, um, okay. privately as well, we, we, we do not know anecdotally of where the state has intervened to expropriate a mining asset. Okay. Oil and gas, slightly different, and there are some well-known case studies yeah, where the so. state has intervened. Yeah. Um, 
We also produce gold, which is a strategic asset for the Russian government. The Russian, the Russian government's macroeconomic policy, and particularly its foreign, economic, uh, foreign exchange policy, mm. is largely driven by a gold-backed ruble. And so it's uh, now one of the world's largest purchasers of gold. So we produce a product which is strategic to the Russian government. So why wouldn't they want us to con continue to do it? Mm -hmm. um, thirdly, uh, sorry, secondly, I talked about uh, capital flows. Yeah. Uh, we are a significant investor in the Far East of Russia, and the Far East of Russia is an underdeveloped uh, region of Russia. Mm. So they're very keen that we continue to provide an, uh, capital into that region, invest in that region, mm -hmm. because again, it's supportive of a macroeconomic policy mm -hmm. and yep. a regional economic yep. policy. So that's capital in, capital out. Mm -hmm. We've paid $21 million or $21.5 million of dividends in less than four years back to UK shareholders and global shareholders. Mm. So we have no problem moving capital in mm. or out. Mm -hmm. And thirdly, um, security of, uh, of, of staff, uh, making a safe and secure environment, we're absolutely uh, comfortable with that. Yeah. We have a 100% indigenous workforce, no expats, fly in, fly out arrangements. So yeah. it's something we feel very comfortable with. Okay. So do you feel, you're, you're 38 to 42, well, how many ounces are you uh, producing? So we've moment? given guidance for 2020 yeah, of uh, 38 to 40, 42 Right, ounces. okay. So, do you, which is, I'm gonna say small. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but you're a small producer, okay? Sure. And you're producing cash, so that's a, that's a good thing, so I'm not, I'm not being negative. But do you feel you have to pay a dividend because you're small and because of the Russia component? Because I look at other companies producing similar amounts to you, they're not dividend paying, they're no. reinvesting for growth and trying to mm. build this company into, you know, mm. bigger than some mm. of its parts. So is that a conscious decision to get people to continue to look at you and even you know, pay any attention? <laughs> I think uh, there's a number of motivations why we do that. Right. Um, one is financial discipline. At the end of the day, we're a business yeah. and uh, we have investors who are out and out uh, financial returns investors right. and so they expect a return on their investment and there's been some yeah. very patient capital in the company and we think it's only correct to reward investors who've been on that journey. Uh, we think to your point it does differentiate ourselves in a positive way mm -hmm. and we're very happy to be differentiated like that with a very high payout ratio and dividend yield. Um, to some extent it does mitigate um, people's concerns because actually it takes away that myth of, oh, well, uh, there's a risk around capital, there's a risk around the company, because the evidence and the reality is we pay people money back. So actually it does ameliorate and mitigate people's, mm. um, people's views. And, um, you know, I think coming back to being a small producer, we are a small producer, we do want to grow, mm. um, but we're focused on profitable ounces, not just ounces for ounces sake. And I think I, I worry when I look across certain elements of the industry. Um, okay, well talk to me about your ASIC then, because you're indicating you're in 900 to 1000, which is a big range, okay? Right, you want to be towards the 900 obviously, but you're, you're, not, you're not there yet. So profitable in today's environment, mm. but you know, what are you going to do about driving that ASIC down? So I think, uh, I just draw your attention to, we've been 850 for, for the first half of, uh, of 19, and obviously okay. we've got full year numbers of 19 to come out shortly. Okay. 900 to 1,000 is, um, is our forecast for uh, 2020. Right. That's up 
year on year, as you yeah. guess the 850 number yeah. uh, slightly. Why? Mm -hmm. um, because we're reinvesting in, in Asatcha's uh, mine life. So we have okay. a very aggressive seven to eight million dollars yeah. drilling program. So that really is investing in the current asset uh, resource base to expand uh, the resource, extend the life of the mine and continue to pay dividends going, in, going forward in the future. Every, every, let's let's talk about margin. That. Please. Um, because that's what it's all about. And 16, 1650, 1660 is a great golden, golden price environment. Right. And frankly, anybody could make money in this, or they should be You'd able be to surprised. make money. You should be able to make money. But we've plotted uh, our 2020 guidance against our gold peers. Mm. And we feel very comfortable in the bottom third of that, of, of the curve. And you know, when we feel, when we're looking at say a 1500 margin, we actually model very conservatively at a discount two spot. You'd expect us to say that. Mm. And we've been profitable for a number of years, so in a lower gold price environment. So we feel very comfortable around our cost control. We're on a 40% EBITDA margin. Um, we think that looks attractive by any uh, measure or in any industry. And we continue to do the same. So it does look attractive, except when you look at your share price, which has been sure. freefall since gold started going up. Yes. Do you know why? Yes. Okay, good news. Uh, well, we think we do. <laughs> well, if you know what, if you don't know what's broke, you can't fix it. So yeah, that's good. So um, summer last year, uh, we had the market were beginning to take a bit more notice of us. We'd yeah. made our seventh or eighth consecutive dividend payment. Um, operations were, were were really beginning to hum. Uh, in, in terms of efficiencies, and that been a, a, we've gone through a program of trying mm. to, to do that and successfully had done that. And then we got, uh, so our share prices started to move and then we got a tailwind of a very strong gold price moving through a 1500 mm -hmm. uh, psychological barrier. So we, we were up to north of a pound. Uh, and then in our interims in September, we produced a very strong set of interims, but we also said that we had felt that our resource statement uh, was overstated because we were noticing variances between our resource and what we were mining. So right. we were very much on the front foot saying, hey, we think there's a problem Good. here. Mm -hmm. Let's be open about this and let's disclose it. We gave guidance that we felt that actually this, what this meant was a four to five year Me mine so life. So meaning, meaning what? In terms of the size of the resource or the grade? Uh, the size, right? Okay. or contained ounces basically. Okay, okay. Uh, so contained ounces which then fed into how long is this operation going to continue for? Okay. Uh, so we signposted that we were going to, we had, we felt confidence around uh, mining up to 2024 based on what we know without mm -hmm. any exploration mm -hmm. and that we will uh, clarify that. We, we clarified that with a formal jork uh, reappraisal in yep. January this sure year. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the same time, whilst I, I think quite rightly some investors felt that there was a little nervousness, a little disappointment around our resource. Um, that we did have one of uh, one of the funds, um, small funds, wanted to uh, to exit the position, completely unrelated to what was happening with TSG. They have other uh, other motivations for realising some of their own investments. So we got we got a double whammy Q3 Q4 last year, um, and we've seen that recover um, to some extent in uh, in Q1. Well, that's a stretch, isn't it? it hasn't, hasn't recovered. So what are you going to do about it? Well, I think the key. I, I think there has been some modest recovery, um, albeit in today's uh, last 24, 48 hours, environment is challenging for anybody right yeah. now. Um, what's in hand is what we've really signposted is we've got a very aggressive drilling drilling program to extend uh, and upgrade the, the resource of the Satcher, current operational so mine. Get back to where you were. Get back to where we were. Okay. And, and we what's think, that going to cost you? Uh, well, we've allocated $7 million for that. Okay. 
So you're fixing a problem. From, it's going to cost seven million bucks, but at least fully funded, no problem. No, I see. I buy all this. I guess the thing. Get at what I'm getting at. So at least you're being honest. Mm -hmm. Do you feel frustrated that this honesty has has been penalised? Because again, we talk to some of these companies who don't really kind of choose that route. They prefer to um, ignore. Um, for us, honesty, transparency is not is non-negotiable. I mean, it'd be. You know, I, I know exactly the kind of um, yeah. practices which certain companies choose to adopt. It's just not an option for us. It's not in our DNA. It's not in the individuals that, that lead this company. And um, you know, we'll say it as we see. It would have been very easy for us to raise money at uh, north of one pound last summer, mm. uh, and we had banks crawling all over us, and um, we politely declined because we, it's about doing the right thing. Okay, so let's come. Let's come back to doing business. You talk about we're a business. We want profitable answers. Sure. Um, we'll forget about the share price, but those profitable ounces don't give you growth. And that is the kind of sentiment and excitement that gets people going, M&A activity. So you're in far east of Russia, far away from here. Mm. You're a small producer, profitable, but what are you going to do to kind of bring the excitement back into this story? Because you know, you're having to deal with, obviously, as you say, it's a difficult Q4, Q1 this year. Sure, I think um, we're actually a growth company and a dividend paying company. Okay. I understand and the dividend bit. Give me the let growth me, bit. Let me talk you through the growth story. Yeah. Well, firstly, we think that the, the ounces at Asatcha can be upgraded and, and expanded first, first of all. So okay. that's, that's growing our resource base. How? Through the, through the drill bit at, at Asatcha. We bought okay. a second development asset last year called Rodnikova. Right which we uh, bought for $3 million, mm -hmm. and that is located 50 kilometers down the road from Asatcha. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have proved a jaw compliant resource of a million ounces contained at five right. grams per ton on that. So that's okay. the, the development asset, and we think that's a very smart piece of deal making, buying okay. a million ounces for $3 million. That's good. Um, where there are obvious operational synergies to our existing operations. Mm -hmm. And as we very publicly stated, the third limb of our strategy is corporate development. Uh, we are in a fortunate position where we have access to capital, where we have strong stable shareholders, we have strong banking relationships, free cash flow. So we are looking, uh, we said that we will make selectively accretive uh, acquisitions. The fact that we haven't made a big bang transaction just yet probably tells you how selective we are. Well, this, this, it tells me how competitive the, the market is and how expensive it can get if you, mm -hmm. if, you, if you don't have that attitude. I get that. So where's this money come from? And I know you've got cash flows, great, but that only will allow you to borrow so much cash or raise so much cash. So what sort of quantum are we talking about? What, what is the profile of this M, potential M&A look like? So let's talk about the profile, what are we looking at? Um, probably like most people, they're looking for advanced development, early stage production. We're comfortable with small scale production. Yeah. Uh, it's core competency for us. Yeah. Um, again, focus on profitable ounces rather than large scale ounces for, um, for, for, for any other reason. Um, how much are we looking deal value wise? I think we're looking at something that's manageable for us um, from um, existing resources, cash, debt, you know, trying to put a number on that, we feel it would be a, a, a percentage of our current market capitalization rather than a recapitalization or something okay. like that. Okay, so thinking small, maintaining this mentality of, you know, growing organically, but also making small creative acquisitions, which slowly build the story. So there's no, there's no 
no big event going to happen anytime soon. It's not, that's not your mentality. No, ours is a very uh, disciplined uh, approach to, to not overpaying, to growing the company in a stepwise logical way. And that is, again, uh, reflective of large, long-term patient supportive shareholders. He's, by the sounds of it, need to be very, very reliant on this um, dividend-paying activity of viewers rather than growth through share price. No, I think I, th- I think we're well, we're undervalued, and I think you'd expect any management team to say they're undervalued. Um, but it's empirical with us rather than emotional would be the first first point. Right. Um, when you look at the growth upside in the share price, um, we see a number of value drivers in what we're doing, you know, drilling results. Uh, we're seeing a scoping study on Rodnikova will be coming out by the end of Q2. Mm. Um, you'll be uh, seeing uh, some financial results in May, which um, we've already given guidance on the dividend coming mm. coming out there. And I think, you know, giving that comfort again that we're providing yield. And then, uh, as I said, we do expect to be able to 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 bring in selective acquisitions um, at the right time. In Russia? Um, I think we've uh, we've got a very clear matrix about what we're looking at. Russia is called competency. Our largest shareholder's got two decades of investment experience in Russia as a multi-asset manager. Um, We know how to operate there, but I think we're also very cognizant of the fact that um, assets can't always be geographically constrained. So we look at the ability to operate in jurisdictions. We have a very clear matrix mm-hmm. of what we're looking for. And when we look at geography, if it is ex-Russia, mm-hmm. then we look at um, how would we be inquiring something with a management team, an operational staff that would be complementary to our own, but also being able to operate in countries so as well. Indeed, we talked right at the beginning, from the outset, you've got directors all over the world. This is desk management, how do you get together and control all of this? You've got an operational team and country, I get it. Mm-hmm. But there's some decision making that's got to happen. What do you do to get on a weekly phone call or something? I mean, how's it work? We, we, um, Moscow is our center of, um, yeah. is our hub uh, yeah. for, uh, for, for, for Who, board. Who's there? So uh, our larger shareholders are based there, and okay. our larger shareholders have three board seats on the, on, in the company because they own 70% of the company in aggregate. Wow. over a number of different funds and individuals. Okay. Um, so they are all uh, in and out of Moscow regularly. Um, there is uh, our CEO and COO are also based in Moscow and obviously transfer backwards okay. and forwards to the Far East. So Moscow is very much centralized uh, decision making. It's our hub. Uh, we have our, our ecosystem around there as well as in, uh, in, in the province of operations. Okay, so I mean, 70%, that's a big number, right? Sure. So how does that affect liquidity? Trading volumes, etc. Is that something you can't, you're conscious of as a concern? Hundred percent. And if you look at um, some of the statements that we did last year, I guess the we we did a buyback last year of one of a partial buyback of funds from private equity fund one and a fund management right. and a family office, right. which allowed us to begin to reorder uh, our shareholder register. Right. Both. United Financial Group, our largest shareholder, mm-hmm. and also Trans-Siberian as a company, yeah. recognize that having a limited free float is pr- suboptimal for both parties. Yeah. So we're working hard about uh, increasing that free float, uh, pushing it into new hands. Um, and as I said earlier, when we Q3, Q4, we had one of the smaller funds sell out uh, through that period, that put another 4%. Uh, or so into the market, and we, you know, whilst it was a, you know, you never want to see somebody leave the register. Did they tell like you that. they were going to do that? 
Did they give you a chance to buy it? Um, we no. Had, <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> they had their own motivations for doing it, and, yeah. and we would have liked to have managed it in a slightly Always. different way. And if yeah. you look at how we managed the buyback, uh, that gives an indication again of that discipline and that very orderly mm. way we like to conduct ourselves. Mm. Um, they chose to do it on market. Uh, that's that's their prerogative as a as a shareholder, and you know we would have done it differently. But um, it's allowed us to put four percent in. That's now the past. Trading volumes, as a consequence, have risen. Um, right. and, um, uh, uh, so they could be better, right? Excuse me. They could be better. I think everybody could be better. Right. Everybody wants more liquidity, but liquidity for liquidity's sake, in itself, doesn't produce anything. It's not. It's not of any value. It's only on the attractiveness of a share to come in and out, right? Well, if you're going to go and raise some money, it's, it's of essential, course. right? Of course. So we're pleased with the direction of travel. We know we've got more to do, mm-hmm. and I think if we were meaningfully trying to increase our, our, our volumes, then we would need to change our ownership. Is that going to happen? Well, I think um, it's something we keep under review. Obviously, we have major shareholder representation on the board, and mm-hmm. um, we look. We are looking to manage our shareholder rec base in a very careful and considered, disciplined way, as I said. That must be a tricky conversation. Not really, because everybody wants the same thing, well, which is value creation underpinned by yield. Well, some, some, sometimes, again, we're speaking to a couple of companies on AIM mm-hmm. who have got very large uh, shareholders who own a very large percentage of the company. They don't actually understand necessarily why they're public, let alone how the, the trading component helps the company operate or raise money effectively. So well, I think, it's, not, it's not a given. <laughs> That's why I ask. Well, I think we're very fortunate in the quality of our, of our, right. of our shareholder. I mean, they are, um, as I said, multi-asset managers, financial investors. They're not right. sector um, mining investors, okay. they're Russia experts, um, and um, they are motivated by by return, and they're motivated by um, looking after their LPs in, in, in turn. So we have very frank discussions around what's best for for everybody like that, and they see. Yeah. Um, but but you know, nothing. They're not in a hurry, as I said. You know, they've kind of been in this company for a long time, seen it through. Some challenging times during construction, yeah. uh, at a time when there wasn't a lot of capital to build mines, uh, and that's why they've got such a, a large shareholding is because they put money into the company during difficult times in, you know, 08, 11 with construction, and then first poor in eleven. You know, mm. you had GFC, and then uh, end of the super cycle, they so, were there. So how much are, how much are these guys ripping out of the company at the moment in terms of management fees, consultancy fees, etc. Because I, you know, I get they own a large chunk of the company, but mm-hmm. they can also they've got the ability to pay themselves a lot of money. So, what's what's the total management fees being taken out of by the directors? Uh, so the three directors are in the minority on the board. Uh, they are paid the standard uh, aim market rates for uh, directors' fees as a non-exec chairman and two two non-executive directors. We standard, just so standard. Well, we benchmark it annually, okay. uh, and we we use industry standards for that. So okay. it's all in the. Uh, and okay. report. So, you know, kind of 30, 35,000 sterling, 50,000 sterling for the chairman, th- those kind of orders of magnitude. Okay. Again, nothing that's out of, out of kilter. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we have a separate relationship agreement with UFG mm-hmm. um, as required uh, by best practice under the QCA Corporate Governance Code. Yeah. And we have a separate, under that arrangement, we pay 150,000 US to uh, UFG for some of the value add services which right. they provide to us, which is in certain instances, they provide a support. They add a lot of value to banking yep. relationships, connectivity mm-hmm. in um, stakeholder management uh, through the fact that they've been yep. there for two decades. Um, which So if you add, add all that up, it's kind of a 200,000 
uh, dollars or so. So it, so it is not okay. a, a feeding frenzy at the expenses of other. No, of I, other do, I do find with. But you're right. There are instances of this. Oh, so mm. many. But I find that with companies with Russian assets, if listed on AIM, they actually behave better than anyone else. They almost have to be whiter than white because of the reputational, the legacy reputational issues that exist and perceptions that exist. So, you know, it's a, it's a, I think it's a fair question and I think well, well answered. Okay. Um, are you buying shares? Uh, we, all the management team bought shares last year uh, right. as part of the buyback and secondary sale. Right. Uh, so six of the seven directors are shareholders in their own, in their own name. Yeah. Some of those directors are significant, substantial shareholders in their yeah. own right. right. Um, and uh, certainly at these levels, it's a conversation that we've had whether directors should be buying and, and can be buying. Now we're, we're about to get in a close period for various different things. So right. it's, it's quite tricky to, to, to follow the corporate governance code. Uh, and be compliant with that and by uh, currently. But if these prices persist, then I, I think you could expect to see directors buy. Okay, so you are, you know where the share price was hit. You're telling me you do, and you, you, you believe those reasons to be true. What are investors saying to you? What are the what's the board saying to you? I know you're an NED, but you mm-hmm. you, you're, you also have some. What are, what are the other things that you do? You did tell me earlier. What are the other things you're responsible for? Even though you're an NED, well, because I'm London-based and yeah. because of my background uh, investment banking, that you know, I'm kind of principal point for dealing with equity capital markets and investor relations um, here in London. Right. Okay. So, what's what are the what's the board highlighted as the issues that they need to deal with? Not just necessarily to get the share price back up, but clearly that's a driver. But in terms of actually delivering this growth story, not talking about it actually delivering it this year. And I get the potential for M&A and the potential sure. for being able to raise reasonably priced capital, et cetera. But what are the things you're actually going to do that you know about today? Well, I think it comes back to things we can control. Great. And, uh, and that's really then an operational focus. So let's, let's look after what we can control mm-hmm. operationally. And that means delivering on uh, attractive uh, ounces, profitable ounces being mm-hmm. produced. It means uh, Extending the life of the main zone at Asatcha, bringing on the east zone of Asatcha, right. which is we, again we've yeah. uh, did upgrading the resource at Asatcha, mm. delivering on the scoping study of Rodnikova, and then really beginning to advance how we're going to bring Rodnikova, our second asset, yeah. into being a second mine. And I think those are things that are broadly within our control mm-hmm. uh, that we can deliver on in 2020. And I think shareholders and and the markets can expect to see significant progress on. Great. And telling the market what you're doing. Well, I'm pleased with uh, with what we uh, what we've done over the last two years. We've had a change of management, change of leadership in 2017, and I think you can see very much a, yep. a before and an after. Um, yep. That said, we, we're always cognizant we've got more to do, and as you rightly say, we want to be convey that transparency. We want to convey and deliver on openness and uh, and information sharing, and you know, we're, we're very happy with that. Mm-hmm. Give us a handshake. That's brilliant. Thanks very much. First time for us uh, hearing that story. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.